Good morning, everybody. Sorry for the delay. So did you like the tree growing? That's a visual effect for you to know what God's plan is for your life. Not for our life, for your life. And uh, as you can see, we're going to do a two-part series starting today on amazing faith and how important is faith. And I want to share with you why we're doing this series today and next Sunday. Two weeks ago, I was in Mexico giving a conference to 85 church leaders. As you know, we have 28 churches now in the whole republic. And, you know, they're big-eyed, starry-eyed, hungry ministers who want to spread the gospel throughout the whole republic. So we had a whole day of classes, and towards the end of the classes, I was a little fried. You know, your brain is a little, you know, run over, hung up wet, teaching a lot, answering a lot of questions. We were going over the 2020 vision, and then there's this guy in the back, a minister from the back of one of our smaller churches. He raises his hand, and he says, hey, what, what can I do as a minister to grow my ministry and my, my members' faith? You know, and I I sat there and I said, well, tell them to read their Bibles, tell them to pray, and you know, the truth of the matter is I was at a loss for words. And what convicted me about that question is it wasn't on the tip of my tongue. And we've been talking a lot about faith, right? But we got to know it's got to be on the tip of our tongue. What do I need to do to do to grow my faith? And it wasn't there. So when I came home, I said, you know what? No more. I'm going to know. You're going to know. They're going to know. It's going to be real easy to understand. It's going to be real clear. I want to grow my faith and how to do that. If you're visiting here with us, I want to welcome you. It's great to have you. And we are a faith-centered church. Faith is very important to us. It's big, and I'm going to show you why today. We're going to get, for a lot of us, we talk about faith, but we don't really take the time to say, how's my faith doing? Ask a lot of people today, do you believe? They'll say probably yes. But what does that mean is not clear enough. So we're going to look today and next week at five focuses of growing your faith. Okay, And hopefully by the fall, and there are a lot of people that are camping and vacationing this week, But you are the blessed ones. And I'm going to encourage them to hear this online. But you are the blessed ones because you're going to get some very practical teaching on how to grow your faith. Adrian, I may need your help with the slides. There we go. Okay, so, you know in the Bible, there's four Gospels. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Right? You know why there's four different Gospels? And I'm very grateful there's four different Gospels because you get four different perspectives about Jesus' ministry from four very different people. You know that we're not the same here, you and me? We're very different. And I'm very grateful that there's four Gospels from four different people that are very different. you got Luke, he was a doctor. Very precise, very about the facts. He gives you detail. He doesn't tell you the the guy's version. He gives you the the, the woman's version, what they were wearing and the kind of shoes they were wearing, that kind of stuff. And then you've got John. John's gospel is very heartsy. He was all about the heart. He talked about love a lot. And so he gives you, I I relate to John. I like John's gospel. That's, That's kind of my lane. But then you got Mark. Mark is the guy's version because it's, give me the facts. All I need to know is the basic stuff. Give me the goods. It's the shortest gospel of all four. Just give me the goods. But there are two occasions in the Scriptures, and you see it up on the screen, there are two times in all four of the Gospels that Jesus was amazed by what He saw. Now, you've got to think, that's pretty incredible to amaze Jesus. Right? He came from heaven. He's been around since the beginning of everything. He's seen some amazing things. He's been blown away so many times over. He 
comes to earth and you go, earth. It would take a lot to amaze Jesus. There were two times that Jesus was amazed by what he saw. And we want to have amazing faith. We want to amaze God. You want to amaze God? I want to amaze God. I want him to be fired up about me and my faith in him. And we're going to look at these two. As you see, there's the, the tree again growing. That's you. Your, your branches are going out. You're growing. That's the goal that God has for, for you and me. First, here's the first one in Matthew chapter 8. Let me set the, uh, the stage a little bit. We'll go back. Jesus encounters a centurion in Capernaum. And he's a centurion, meaning he is in charge of a hundred soldiers. And that's pretty important. That's, you know, he's not a commander, but that's, that's, that's significant. To lead a detachment of a hundred soldiers. And he went to Jesus. He said, can you heal my sick servant? He's, he's paralyzed and he's in great pain. Will you come and heal him? Can you help me? And Jesus said, okay, I'll go with you. And then he thought about his position. He said, no, 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 wait a second. I understand how it works. I'm a man under and over authority. I get it. All you have to do, Jesus, because you are in authority, all you got to do is say the word. Just like me. When I give an order, it gets done. It happens. And I believe that you have that authority, Jesus. Just say the word, and my servant will be healed. And look what Jesus says here. When Jesus heard his response, he said, He was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What was Jesus' response to the centurion? He wasn't even an Israelite. What amazed him? His faith, his great faith. If you want to amaze God, you want to amaze Jesus, you've got, we've got to focus on our faith. And we're going to break that down today. What does that mean, faith? Now, here's the not-so-good example uh, Jesus was also amazed. He goes to his hometown of Nazareth where he grew up. Okay? When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many heard him. They were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? You know, when when Jesus went to his hometown, there was a group of people that were amazed. But then we're going to encounter another group of people. Verse 3. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Now, depending upon a particular background religiously, this may be a surprise to you. Jesus had brothers, half-brothers. Okay, he, he was the son of God. But he had half-brothers by the same mother. And their names, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And he also had, aren't his sisters here us, with us? And they took offense at Jesus. Why? Because they said, isn't this little Jesus... You know, there's some people, and I know some of you teens can relate, because some of our family members, they don't allow us to grow up. You know? They grow and they grab you by the cheek, and they say, oh, and you're, you're, you're 21. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. I'm not that little kid anymore. I'm grown up. And that's how they looked at Jesus. They despised him. Who does he think he is? He's just little Jesus. We remember when he got in trouble with his two brothers. You know? We remember how he was. He was just a punk running around here in the neighborhood. They took offense at him. And look what it says. What was Jesus' response? Jesus said to them, only in their own towns, among their relatives, in their own homes, are prophets without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at what? Now, I don't want to amaze God in this sense. 
He was amazed. He was blown away by their lack of faith. And I hope that none of us will fall into that category. That we'll allow cynicism or a situation or negativity or a disaster affect negatively our faith and we start walking around being cynics. Yeah, yeah, I've seen it before. Be careful if you've been in the church a long time. Because you think you know it all. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Churches, I've seen them grow. Oh, yeah, Mike Mead, yeah, he preached an awesome sermon last week and... It was, it was really good, but I've seen it before. Hopefully he can hang in there and be around as long as I've been around. Oh, yeah, that Wendell, that's awesome that he's got that conviction now. We'll see. Give him a couple years. You know what Jesus would say about that heart? He would be amazed at that lack of faith. A cynic. Oh, yeah, one more church. One more situation. Ah, yeah, I've heard it. One more sermon today. Do you see? Do you see what has happened to your faith? Very important. We've got to protect our faith. And so I don't want to be the kind of amazed, I don't want to promote this feeling. Then we've got another situation. Let's break down faith. Because Jesus would always talk to his disciples about faith. There was one particular occasion where Jesus was with his disciples on a boat. Right? And this, this helps me, this encourages me. Jesus took a nap. So if Jesus takes naps, can we take naps? Yeah, naps okay. Remember, I grew, I grew up, you know, you don't take naps, you've got to work, you've got to stay busy. But then when I went to Mexico and I realized, they take naps. I'm going to take a nap. A nap's okay. Jesus took a nap, right? So it's okay to take a nap. But here's Jesus taking a nap in a storm. I mean, the wind's blowing. This gives you an idea. The waves are coming over the side of the boat. And the disciples are terrified. Listen to what they said. Here it is, Mark, Mark chapter 4, verse 40. Jesus was on the stern, sleeping on a cushion. Middle of a storm, what peace. The disciples woke him up and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Don't you care if we die? Ever done that? Been so desperate you're going to die. I'm going to die! He got up and he rebuked the wind and, the wave, and said to the waves, Quiet! Or in our vernacular today, what did he say? Shut up! Now, we don't allow shut up in our house, but, you know, most people say, shut up. But Jesus said, quiet, be still. Then what happened? The wind and the, and the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why were you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Let's break down faith. What is faith? Faith is a confidence that God cares about your life. And you believe it. He's with you. He cares about you. He loves you. And He's not going to let anything really seriously bad happen to you. Okay? That was Jesus' point. Jesus had expectations of his disciples. And he has expectations of us when it comes to faith. Jesus said, if you want to be saved, what must you do first? You must believe. And this is a big deal for us today. We say it too lightly, but we don't really reflect on our lives. Do I believe? Am I walking in confidence? He wanted people to live their lives as if God could be fully trusted. Do you trust him? Do you trust Him to watch over you to take care of your needs? Not your wants, your needs. There's a big difference. There's a big gap. What do we really need? The basic needs that we have. Well, I need the TV. You know, I I need my iPod. 
I need my computer. Some of us, I need my cell phone. No, you don't. Think about the basic needs that we have. You have air, right? Could you imagine waking up tomorrow and there's no air? That'd be nice. Wake up. No air. It's on the news. Guy on CNN, there's there's no air. You don't have to worry about that. There's air, right? Take a big breath of it. Man, he'd take care of you. Anybody, anybody uh, not have anything to eat this morning? Like you open the refrigerator and there's nothing. Probably some of our singles or, or campus students. Yeah. Are you going to go hungry today? Are you going to get something later? Probably. There's nobody in here. There's nobody in here looking like Gandhi, starving to death. We're, we're taken care of, right? God takes care of our needs, but we've got to trust, fully trust God. That's what it means to have faith. And he wanted them to live like God was truly with them. Not around them. Not here on Sunday and then all week long you're on your own. No, with you. Truly with you. And then he wanted them... Got a happy button here. And then he wanted them... To respond to circumstances of life knowing that God loved them and cared for them. I'm going to take care of you. And, and that's what amazes us when people go through tragedy in life. What amazes you? When I see people go through tragedy and hardship and they're under control and they trust God. That, that faith amazes me. That inspires me when I see people go through hardship. And they're, they're, they're good. They, they, they're feeling it, but they're good. They're solid. They're not worried. Or when people, and I've been with them on many occasions, at their deathbed, holding their hand, and they slip away. Not in a panic. Fully trusting. God's going to take care of me. That's intense. That inspires me. That's what it means to believe. How's your faith today? How was your faith this week? And I can honestly confess to you today, my faith this week had ups and downs. But as of today and this fall, I want to work on growing my faith. And we're going to give you some practical things on how to do that. How to grow your faith. There's been studies done of churches and of of Christians, of disciples, and I even did a little survey this week in our midweek talking about moving your faith. And I asked all the people that were here to, to turn in a card, and it won't be surprising what we see, but what moves people's faith. But also, biblically, what moves people's faith. Then a big question, how would someone like you, and this is a good thing, if you understand belief, how would someone like you respond if they were absolutely confident that God cares, loves, and will do as He promised? How would that person respond? Is that how you respond? Is that how you're going to respond? See, there's our faith, face to face. And it's our responsibility to grow our faith. Like we saw the tree, remember? Starts out little, small. God's expectation is for us to grow our faith, to expand it, so that people can come and depend and get help from us with our faith. And we can inspire other people in their faith. Now, How important is faith? In the beginning, Adam and Eve's relationship with God was broken over a lack of faith. God told them, don't eat from this tree. Did they trust him? No. They broke trust. They broke faith. And we've got to understand today that faith is built or broken. Or a relationship is built or broken based on faith. And Jesus talked about Adam and Eve. Some people today, they have this idea that, well, Adam and Eve is, is figurative. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a story. No, Jesus talked about Adam and Eve, and in the beginning, he believed it, I believe it. It happened. They were who they were. That's my faith. Jesus believed it, I believe it. And I don't believe all the twisted garbage that people are throwing around today. Their way of their looking at things. In the New Testament, a relationship with God is formed and held together 
with trust. And we know this. Being a faith-centered church is not a creed. It's not something we want to throw around lightly. You want to make sure you have it and that you bring it and that you live it. It's very important. And I don't want you to run around thinking, oh yeah, we're a faith-centered church. What does that mean for you on a practical basis, on an everyday basis? Are you faith-centered? Is your life all about faith? And from there it goes out. It's a relationship. That's what faith is. I trust God. I trust what He says in His Word. I believe it. And I know it to be true. And it's changed my life. And it will protect me. It will guide me. It will be a lamp to my feet. That's what it means to have faith. Everything begins with our faith. You know, we have a plan of how to get right with God if you're visiting with us. We have a plan. It's an acronym. HBO. What what does HBO mean for some of our members? First, H means hear. B means believe. And then O means obey. HBO. But where does faith fit in? It's at the very beginning. You hear God's Word and you take it for being the truth. You believe it. That's essential. Before you can do anything else, before you can be Converted, forgiven, changed, transformed before you can become a member of this church. You must believe. It's the first question we ask people before they're baptized. Do you believe that Jesus came here to earth, died for our sins, was crucified, and on the third day was raised and is with God in heaven? It's essential. See, because that begins the relationship. That begins everything else. We can't neglect our faith. It's so important. And some people have this idea you've got to jump through hoops to get right with God. No, it's not like that. You, you do the things because you believe. You can't do, then believe. You've got to believe, and because you believe, you do. Very important in our relationship with God. What moves your faith when you see it in others? And as I shared before, stories of tragedy, disaster, And even death. When you see people with faith in God, they're solid. They trust. They know God is here. He's going to take care of me. Adrian? Adrian! Can you help me? One more time. Okay. All right. And and you know, as us, I put disciple here. As us. You know, the boat looks like it's going down. Our lives are coming apart. And we say, everything's coming undone. I don't know what to do. Where's your faith? Faith says, I believe that God is going to take care of me. You know, we got people around us that have suffered greatly. You know, this past week we heard of a brother, Jeff Balsam, in Chicago. He's been diagnosed with a very serious form of cancer. And I love to see disciples face those challenges. You know, we got people with their testimony, Nancy Mano, when she was facing cancer and its implications, and many others. Their faith stood strong. Yeah, it hurts, it's hard, it's difficult, but there's faith. And that's what we need to make sure we have. And if we want to grow in our relationship with God, we need to grow in our faith. One time, there we go. Now, let's talk about faith. It's different and has different stages. All right? For the teens over here, there's teen faith. What's teen faith? Okay, let's break it down. Everyone around me is cheating in school and living immoral lives. Can I trust God with my future even though people are making fun of me? That's teen faith. And we don't need to... You know, look down on it. That's their faith. That's, their, that's faith for them, really, right now. They're facing heavy peer pressure. Do I trust God enough to not be accepted and follow the crowd? The current's going this way. I'm deciding to go this way. That's teen faith. And let me tell you, I didn't have it. I wanted it. I knew I needed it. And I admire these young teen disciples. But that's teen faith, right? You got single faith. 
That's very different. Each, each one is a different stage in people's faith. Te- single faith. That includes the campus ministry. I didn't leave you guys out. A single faith. How do other singles see the world and live their lives? Is my life relevant as a disciple? And let me tell you, for, for singles, comparing and looking over your shoulder is big. It even levels up from teen faith. Always wondering, you know, what's going on with my life? I'm still single. I'm missing something. Who told you? Who's telling you you're missing something? The world's telling you that. You don't need a relationship to make you whole. God makes us whole. I know a lot of married people who are not whole. They don't have everything. They're empty. They're half empty because they're not whole with God. The world is projecting this image that you need somebody to make you whole. But see, that's single. That's single faith. Right? And that's their challenge. Then married faith. How about when you're young married and you have a baby? And the doctor says, okay, you have the baby, you're in the hospital, you can go home now. And you freak out, you go, what? Your first child, if you've been through this, you know what I mean. You take your first child home, you're terrified. What if something happens, doctor? I got this, this little creature, this little baby. What happens? What if something goes wrong? I mean, it's terrifying. Do you know that there's more you have to do to get a driver's license than you do to take a baby home with you? It's easier to get a dog from the pound. I mean, it's harder to get a dog from the pound and take that dog home than it is to take a baby home from the hospital. Did you know that? But that's young married faith. And to trust, hey, God's in control. He controls me. He controls our situation. And then there's different stairs. Parents of teens, man, that's a whole different level of faith. Lord, help me with my faith. Right? Then you got another level. Parents of teens who drive. I'm not there yet. I haven't leveled up to that stage yet. I'm praying God help me with my faith. But you got to trust. And then there's many other stages we could go all day. But everybody's at a different stage in their faith. But the important thing is don't get stuck in your stage. Grow your faith. And we're going to talk about practically how to do that. In all these circumstances, our faith is tested and allows us the opportunity to grow our faith. Okay. There we go. Number two is, what would someone like you do if they had faith in God? That's what sometimes you've got to ask yourself. If they were absolutely confident that God was with them. And sometimes we've got to ask ourselves that question so we can respond with faith. And we're going to look at five practical things to grow our faith. And this has been over research that's been done in churches. What helps individuals grow their faith? Okay? And we're going to look at two of them today and then three more next week. You want to grow your faith? Go after these five areas. Two of them today, three next week. Number one thing that helps people grow their faith is practical teaching. I had a woman ask me this week. She says, you're a minister, right? What do you do in your church on Sunday? You know, in my church, she came from a traditional church, in my church... We have a different reading every week. And over a three-year period, they go through the whole Bible. Very predictable. In fact, the minister, or priest in this case, is given what he's going to talk about this Sunday. And that's what he's got to do. And so they have a specific reading, and it's, it's very, very like, this is how you do it. He says, what about you and your church? I said, we don't do it like that. We have practical teaching. What do I mean by that? We do teaching about God's apps. Meaning, 
How can I put the Bible into practice in my life? How can it be relevant in my life today, this week, last week, the week after this, this fall? How can I apply the Scriptures? You know how Jesus taught the Bible? Any idea? Practical application. He taught parables. Do you know why? Because it was so important for people to know, how does this apply to me? He talked about farms. He talked about, you know, masters and slaves and and, and all these kinds of things. They, They were applicable. People could get it. They could understand what he was talking about. That's why we have on Sunday very practical teachings. We have faith principles. What are faith principles? Faith principles are very practical Bible studies on how to apply the Word of God. How does it affect my life? You know, we've been having classes on on Wednesday night about marriage principles. We're going to have later this fall parenting principles. Because what good is this Word if I don't know how to apply it? How can it help me? I know it's the inspired Word of God, but if I don't know how to apply it, what good is it? And this is what I, I learned as a young minister. This is what was ingrained in me. You must learn how to apply and help people with their lives through this. Use the Scriptures. Teach the Scriptures in a way that will help people grow their faith. So, what happens when your, your will and God's will, when they intersect, and you decide, I'm going to put into practice God's Word, guess what happens? Your faith grows. Let me give an example. When you were a young disciple, remember when you first started putting in the practice the scriptures? What happened to your faith? I mean, my faith blew up. I started looking at the scriptures where the scriptures talk about being a pure, righteous man as a single college student. And I got it. I said, this makes sense. I feel better about myself. I feel this is right. I understand what a woman is now. She's not an object. She's a person. She's she's someone that has, you know, an intellect. It's not all about their, their, their physical body. And I learned how to graduate from being an animal to a human being. And my faith grew. I said, God is right. His way is right. You know, and then prayer. Prayer opened up a whole new world for me as a young disciple. So when you apply the Word of God, it automatically gets your faith bigger. What happens when you don't apply the Word of God? Is your faith going to continue to grow? See, this is why it's very deliberate, even today. Why are we having a practical lesson about faith? Because it's going to help your faith grow. If we just read from the Bible and I stand here and have a robe and somebody else stands here and we read the Bible and we go through the motions, you're going to be like this. I spent many years in that kind of setting. And you know what it did for my faith? Very little, if anything. What helped me with my faith was application. Practical application. So that's the first thing. And and application, and Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone, and you know, this is interesting. Back when they were having the presidential elections, they had the candidates... And they, that one of the, the, the debate questionnaires, questioners was, he said, what's your favorite scripture in the Bible? And they asked the candidates. I don't know if you remember this. It was one of the uh, debates. And they asked him, what's your favorite uh, scripture in the Bible? And most of them, if not all of them, said, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Number one, that's not a scripture. Okay? That's not a scripture. That's three chapters of the Bible. It's power-packed. I mean, there's so much there. But I know it wasn't their favorite. I know it wasn't. You know why? Because they don't practice it. You look at their life and you go, there's no way they practice this. But let's look at the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Unapplied truth... Is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anything unless you apply it. I, I want you to think about your house, your, your home. You go to your house and your home and it looks awful. Okay? And neighbor comes up to you and says, Hey man, why don't you do something about your house? It looks bad. 
said, no, 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 wait a second. I got the paint. It's right there in the garage. I got it. Comes back a week later and says, so what happened? You know, a lot of us as Christians, we do the same thing. Our life's a mess. Things are coming apart. We're not getting along. But you've got the paint, right? You've got, a whole, you've got buckets of paint. You just haven't applied it. It does you no good if you don't apply it. And if you want to grow your faith, then apply the Word of God. That's why we spend so much time talking about putting into practice the Word of God. And this is what Jesus said. He said, you know, if you're not going to put into practice, you might as well miss the sermon. You might as well not even be here today if you're not going to practice what the Bible teaches. There's no point. It's a waste of your time, my time. Let's not even go through this. Let's go eat. But if you're going to apply it, get ready. Because it's going to change the way you live your life. And it's going to get exciting. And you're going to avoid a lot of challenges and a lot of situations. James put it this way. He talked about a mirror. The man who doesn't apply the Word of God is like a man who goes and looks at the mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. What's the point of the mirror? You might as well skip the mirror if you're not going to put it into practice. That's the point. We spend a lot of time as people in front of mirrors, right? What if you didn't care about how you looked or what you look like? We need to care about what and who we are and use the Scriptures to get better and be stronger. Okay, that's number one, applying a a practical application. Number two, this is our second thing that we're going to look at. And this is all we're looking at today is these two things. Practical application, and then number two, providential relationships. Now, what's a providential relationship? You're saying that's a big word. Maybe some of the teens in the house. What's a providential relationship? Sounds like providence relied on. Okay, do anybody know? Providential relationship? Campus students? Anybody know? A providential relationship is this. It's you believe that God put that person in your life to increase your faith. How did, how did we get here? How did you get here in your faith? I'll bet almost 100% of us God used somebody or someone to help you get to know Him. God uses people. Providential relationship. If you want to grow your relation, you want to grow your faith, you must have providential relationships. In other words, you must have the faith to believe God put people in your life to help you grow your faith. In the last 25 years, I can go through and think of all the people that God used to help me grow my faith. I believe in providential relationships. It is the number two thing that helps people's faith grow. And that's why it's such a big emphasis in our church. Small groups. We believe in them. Why? Because it grows our faith. we got cell groups. My concern is, is that some of us think we don't need to be a part of a small group. And we get isolated. We're out on our own. We're not connected. We think that Christianity is about rows and aisles. Christianity is not about rows and aisles. It's about circles. It's about people being close together that believe, I'm here for you, you're here for me. Man, I love my faith group, our small group, because they have inspired my faith. I got two of the couples here in the, in the front. Man, I, I'm grateful. I'm, not, I'm, the, I'm the, the faith group leader, but they help me as much as I help them to see their lives change to see them grow, to see them enthusiastic about serving God, it helps my faith. To see Ceci bring the, 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 the refreshments. I mean, like, yeah, this is awesome. She, she, she. And then Sochi, she brings the salsa. And it's so, it's so good. And I go, where did you get this? She wants someplace special to get it. 
That, that encourages my faith. But just the relationships. And when we talk about our experiences and what we're going through, I believe God put them in my life and I'm in their life to change us. I'll share with you a very significant relationship in these last eight months, ten months of my life. John Causey has had a significant providential impact on my life personally as a minister. He has encouraged my faith. That relationship was not orchestrated. It was not structured. It wasn't systematic. I saw his faith and I said, Brother, will you help me grow in my faith as a minister? And the rest is history. And to this day, he's still... My concern for some of you is your faith is not growing because you don't have these kinds of relationships in your life. It's so important, young people, that you have your small groups. That this fall when you start your high school groups, that you keep your relationships strong. And the campus ministry, that you have your campus faith groups or Bible talks. And that you stay close and that you're strong and you're united. If you're visiting here with us, who are your providential relationships? People that inspire and move your faith. We live in a go-on-your-own society. Everybody is very independent. And guess what happens to people's faith? It's on purpose, guys, that we have small groups. We also have faith partnerships where it's mentoring. You know who's my faith partner? Who's my faith partner? John Causey's my faith partner. And you can see the impact that he has on my life. How about you? Can, can we see the impact that someone is having in your life because you're getting mentored in your faith? This is huge, guys. If you want to grow your faith, you've got to have these relationships. And you've got to be the one to take that initiative. Don't wait around. If you want your faith to grow, you've got to apply the Word and you've got to have those relationships with each other. I appreciated last night the, uh, the, the, the open mic night. You get to see relationships, right? But it's very important that we don't get left out. There were a few people, you know, they're kind of sitting off on their own and doing their own thing. Be careful with that. Let's stay tight. Don't be too tired or too busy for relationships because it may jeopardize your faith. And we've seen this happen. Two things. When people apply the Word of God and when people have providential relationships, guess what happens? Their faith grows. It's automatic. John 13, 34, 30, 35. Jesus said it here. He said, A new command I give you, love one another. It means relationships. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Did Jesus work in rows and aisles? What was his core group? What was his focus? Twelve men. And even within that twelve, he had three guys that were his primary relationships. And they were providential in his life and them in his life. Who is your small group? And this applies at all levels in our church. Think about our kids' ministry. Do you think they need relationships? What do you think it's like for them to go through, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, all those kingdom kid classroom levels, and they have the same relationships? Relationships are key. I believe for our kids, it's very important for them to cultivate and have great relationships. How about you, Mom? Are you willing to drive to Orange County, to the West, to wherever, so that your kids can have great relationships with other disciples. It's huge. Don't let your kids go to the wind and choose their own relationships however they see fit. I'm very purposed in, my, in how my kids have relationships because I want them to have providential relationships, meaning relationships where God can work in that relationship to help them grow. Chris Boyer had a profound impact on my son's life. I'm forever indebted to him. But it wasn't an accident. My son took initiative with Chris, and Chris took initiative with my son. Changed his life. I see too many disciples not taking initiative. Too many parents not taking initiative. If you want to see your kid's faith grow, 
get them in providential relationships. It's huge. And also, it's not just about being influenced. It's being a person of influence. Who helped you become a disciple? Next question, who are you going to help become a disciple? Don't be a broken link on the chain. God wants to use you to change somebody's life forever. Think about that. You and I get the chance. Sometimes think, oh, well, I'm not ready yet. I'm just a young, I'm not quite equipped. I need to go to college of ministry and Bible before I can answer all their questions. No, you don't. you got one thing. Faith in God. And that faith in God, as it is translated in your life to somebody else's life, can change them. The people that have impacted me deeply were the regular Joe Christians who just lived a life and they inspired me. And that's who we need to be, people of influence. How are we doing? We're doing great. All right, watch this video. Hi, my name is Robert Carrillo, and I'm with the San Diego Church of Christ. And we want to invite you guys to come on out and spend an incredible spiritual weekend with us in the beautiful city of San Diego. I'm standing at the Viejas Arena at San Diego State University. Normally this place is filled with thousands of fans cheering on the Aztecs, but on September 4th and 5th, it's going to be filled with over 5,000 disciples singing and praising God. Brian Craig's going to be down there rocking the band. Alan Gower's going to be rocking us in worship and praise. By the way, this place holds over 12,000 people, so bring a friend. Okay, two weeks from now, we've got the Southwest Conference. Why do I mention this? Why this commercial? The day after I was baptized, the very next day, I went to a conference like this on Latin American missions. It was providential, meaning God used that conference to change my life. What I had dreams and plans to do, it was like, it was like God sent it. And it was casual. The conference was happening. I just got baptized. What if I got baptized a few days later? I'd have missed that conference. I don't know what my life would have been like had I not gone to that conference. It had that significant an impact on my life. That was the day, that was the weekend that God planted the dream in my heart to be a missionary and do Latin American missions. It determined who I was going to marry. It determined my career plans. It determined everything. I have absolute faith that God used a conference to determine my steps. What if you missed the conference? I'm just saying, you may miss an opportunity for God to make some moves. Some of us as singles or, you know, high school students. And you may not have the resources to go and and, and be there for the whole weekend. I'm just saying, make every effort to try to be there. If you can't, then you get the classes. But there's so many great things when we have conferences like this. And when we do things like this as a church. And if you go back, some of you have been around a long time, you've been to some of these events, and you remember it changes you. It really helps you. All right, let's close out. Matthew chapter 7, verse 26. Jesus shared this. He says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, The winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. What's Jesus' point? What's the house? Our lives. Seen any crashes lately? Every time I turn around, I see a big, fat crash. It's tragic. And I see it in young people. And you think you've had the crash. You have no idea as a young person how bad it'll get. You know, and most of the tragedies, they, they've done studies, 80 to, to 70 to 80% of most tragedies and hardships that people go through in their life, guess what, are self-inflicted. Think about it. 20 to 30% of tragedies in our lives, we can't do anything about them. They just happen. Okay? Storm, fire, sickness, tragedy. 
70 to 80% of our hardships in life come from what? Not putting into practice what God has given us. When you follow God's Word, it's like you're out in a storm and you've got an umbrella. You're covered. Have you ever seen somebody standing out in the middle of rain with no protection? Or, and the worst thing is you get somebody who's standing out there and they've got an umbrella in their hand. How crazy is that? Some of you kids have been coming to church for a long time. Have you really taken out and used your umbrella? Are you waiting for disaster? I hear this phrase sometimes. People say it. They say, well, I'm kind of like one of those people who have to learn things the hard way. Let me, let me tell you how Jesus put it. You foolish man. You foolish woman. Don't be a fool. God is offering you a way to avoid a disaster in your life. A disaster in your marriage. And it's not only about you. You think, oh, well, so what? It's only going to affect me. You're wrong. When our house crashes... It affects our loved ones. And if you're married, it affects your kids. It affects your family. It affects a lot of people. Don't be irresponsible with what God's given you. That's how important faith is, brothers and sisters. Friend, you know why we want to grow this church? Not to make a name for ourselves. You know the number one reason why we want to grow our church? To avoid the crash in as many people's lives as possible. That's the big motivation. That's why we want to see your faith group grow. That's why we want to see you grow so that you can be used by God, your faith group can be used by God to help people avoid disasters. I'm so blessed that I got out of all the disasters that were waiting for me. And I've missed so many. But it's about this, the great crash. And don't just take me... I want you to think about how badly Jesus wanted you to grow your faith. Right now we're going to celebrate the communion. But it's a time to reflect and remember, what did Jesus do to grow our faith? To give us the possibility to grow our faith. He died a horrific death. And He bled for us. To give us a new start. That's how badly Jesus wants you to have great growing faith. That's how badly Jesus wants you to have amazing faith. So let's go to God in prayer and then we'll take the communion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the privilege that you've given us this morning to study your word. I do pray that you'll help us to grow our faith.